Welcome, welcome, welcome. This is the Distraction Pieces Podcast, episode 449. And this week's guest is the wonderful Ema Kenny. I was excited to talk to Ema because she's working on loads of really cool stuff. Um, she's come up in conversation on the Distraction Pieces Podcast before. She came up when I was chatting with Tom Davis and when I was talking to Sipa uh, of the People Just Do Nothing crew she's in the show that they all did together called the curse so we i wanted to have a chat to her about that but also in seeing her in that i looked her up immediately to say that was amazing like her performances like everyone else in it i was pretty much already a fan of and Ema, i was like do i know you from something and i looked her up and she's just been doing amazing stuff for years and has got an amazing stuff in the pipeline from writing so from behind the page and on the screen that isn't even a thing but so yeah, I wanted to chat with her and it was an absolute delight. Can't recommend this conversation enough. Previous guest Rick Edwards is her partner who we reference at, at some points. And yeah, it's a lovely chat. Obviously Tom Davis, Steve Stamp is a previous guest. Um, Asim Chowdhury is a previous guest. If we're looking at the people just doing nothing, like Hugo and Sipa have been on various times in various guises. Yeah, so and I recommend The Curse. It's amazing. But before we get into it, obviously, as ever, we're brought to you by com. Head there for all your summer merch and gear. Patreon.com forward slash Pip if you want to help out there. And twitch.tv forward slash Pipyo if you want to come and watch me doing stuff on Twitch. I'm on there at least three times a week. So there's loads of goodness over there i've got a bonus episode for you on friday and it's a really important one so i'll tell you quickly about that now it's going to be called accountability in activism because you may have seen some news stories about some of the founders of black lives matter recently and some question over where the money is being spent that they've raised and i've had patrice colours on the podcast to talk about black lives matter like two years ago way back in the day um as they were building it all up but with this question mark i felt almost a responsibility to give a platform to one of the people questioning this and the person i spoke to is lisa simpson whose son was killed by the police and it was one of the 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 tragic murders that spawned the black lives matter movement that got you know speed behind the black lives matter movement and she feels that they've made a load of money off of her son's name and she hasn't seen any of it, and she feels there are many communities that have been exploited. So it's a really sensitive and nuanced subject, but, you know, I felt I had to address it, having given a platform to Patrice Kalouz in the past. So, yeah, it's an amazing chat. That's going to be out on Friday. I hope you all enjoy it. But for now, this is the Distraction Pieces podcast, episode 449, with the wonderful Ema Kenny. Right, I'm joined today by Ema Kenny. How are you? I'm good, thank you. How are you doing? I'm good. We Our Zoom windows came up and I've rushed just straight into recording <laughs> because I just want to meet actually on mic and, and, and have a chat because we've got loads of, of mutual friends and acquaintances and stuff and 
everyone speaks really highly of you. I, oh. I feel you should know. I feel it's well, important so that nice. you know. So yeah, I was excited to come on and chat. But yeah, as I said, first of all, ha- how are you? Obviously, everything's fucking crazy right now. Yeah. How are you in yourself, in, in the world? How is everything? I'm okay. Um, I just went for a really angry run. Brilliant. You know, and if you... <laughs> You know, and you feel like everything's just building up and you're not quite sure why you're so furious. I mean, there's lots of reasons to be furious in the wider world, but just a few things going wrong in my life, just like my laptop breaking, you know, stuff like stupid stuff like that. And I just went for a run where I really wanted to sort of kick some bins on the way um, and got a bit of it out. So now I'm good. How are you? I I love those ones. (laughs) I love those angry workouts. I've I've not been into it as much recently, but for a good few years, I was really into cold showers, particularly after my workouts. I I was having them every day. I've eased off a bit recently, so I can't claim it anymore. But that was one of the most amazing things if I was stressed to do some really hard cardio and then have a cold shower. And it felt like a spiritual experience, like legit. It had really exercise everything in both <laughs> obviously exercise and that. exercise sound exactly the same in my horrible <laughs> accent but yeah it would really exercise and exercise everything that you need so yeah, yeah I, I can't recommend that. it enough <laughs> but but you've had a lot going on lately like some really ex- exciting stuff and it's weird I spoke to to Puffer S.A. do about this uh, we caught up halfway through the pandemic because he had a really weird experience of Dude's been hustling away for years, working really hard. And then he has I May Destroy You and he has Gangs of London come out and then the film industry stops and everything goes on hold. So it was a really weird experience. And you're kind of on the other end of that. So I want to talk about The Curse. I want to talk about your upcoming projects. I want to talk about your whole journey. But I'm not normally one of those interviewers to talk to a female guest about their partner. But I know Rick, so we've got to have at least a section on 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 Rick. So it feels crazy not to when it's someone I actually know. So yeah, yeah. how's how, how have you both been doing? I guess in these times because you've both been nice and busy, right? With the curse and with his new bachelor show that looks absolutely <laughs> m- loony. Yeah, no, it's mad, and the and the um the radio show as well. Yeah, that he does. Yeah, now we're in a weird place at the moment because. He has just got this new breakfast radio show, which starts at 6am, but he has to get up at sort of 3.45 in the morning. Yeah. Um, and it's also based in Salford. I was going to say, it's up north, <laughs> isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. And um, I've been working away quite a lot in the past year, and then I've been in London. So we have a really good long-distance relationship, basically. Yeah. <laughs> which I think a lot of people in the industry do. Yeah. And we're quite used to it, but we also really miss each other because we're quite we're quite in each other's lives. Like yeah. he, I, he sort of, and in each other's work quite a lot. We talk a lot about what we're doing, and he always reads my scripts. And I'm just, we're just really kind of partners in everything. And so it does feel a little bit like your uh, half of you is far away. Yeah. Um, but. Uh, it's all good stuff, you know, like I'm happy he's doing really well and on the radio and re- doing a really good job and he's happy that I'm working. It must be kind of helpful that you've got shared experiences in that way because one of the hard things, like you see a lot of people, particularly in acting, whose relationship, who can't hold down a relationship because yeah. there is the kind of thing of, oh, and, and I had it end of last year or no, the year before where 
halfway through the pandemic, I had to go and film for seven months in Canada. So yeah. I don't get to see my partner for seven months. It was pandemic, so no one could come and visit. Yeah. And, you know, it, it's good if you can find someone who can have that understanding. But it's even b- b- better if someone's had that lived experience to kind of go, oh, no, I know how this is. And with Rick, like, for example, I know I'm going to have to go and spend my weekdays in Manchester and, yeah. and, and so on and so forth. And it must help yeah. that you both kind of understand that that's the, the price of the the weird world that we're all in I guess totally and we've always you know you hear about those couples who are like we're going to make sure we don't spend this amount of time away from each other we've always sort of talked around trying to do that and then never ever done it because it's impossible yeah I just it's it's you'd have to say no to jobs you'd have to turn things you know you'd have to turn things dream things down and yeah um we don't have kids yet so I feel like at the moment it's it's just grabbing it and trying to make it work and understand understanding that both of us love what we do so yeah it's, it's, it's a tricky one though I love it it's, it's 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 really interesting and as I said I've had exactly the same things I've had moments where I'm like right I'm going to make sure we take more holidays and we're going to do yeah. this and do that and then you're like well no I'm there's two two roles I'm up for I'm not going to yeah. be able to relax on a holiday I also know that we could literally be boarding the plane and I'd get a phone call to say yeah. You've got it. You need to be in Wales or whatever. It's like, <laughs> all right, have a good holiday. So it's kind of, it just doesn't, yeah. I know. The, the best intentions, it's often that that goes out the window in this. Yeah, I mean, we industry. moved our honeymoon four times. Wow. <laughs> wow, that's amazing. I mean, it's good problems to have, isn't it? Like, to, yeah. to be working. Because then, and then we had that, the pandemic at home with each other where nothing was happening and uh, we were miserable. So... <laughs> You got, you know, I count my, we count our blessings with it, but um, yeah, it does make things hard. I think that's a big thing as well. Coming out of the pandemic, everyone mm. going back to that almost, and I think it has to be a balance in this industry because I, I, I'm guilty of it. Almost an over gratefulness for work and forgetting yeah. your worth and your value and kind of going, oh, I'm just happy to be, yeah. be doing something and all that because we had that period where it was all kind of taken away, and I think that's where. The negatives of particularly the acting industry come in when yeah. people are kind of pushed too hard or push themselves too hard. It can be either, but it can definitely be either, and that can be a troubling thing because we kind of yeah, you get that always. Oh, I'm just I'm I'm lucky to be working. I'm glad to be working. So, well, no, you're you're good at what you do. You're yeah. It yeah. should be everyone is posit- is happy about this. You know. Yeah, I'm I'm finding that at the moment, particularly with writing. Yeah. That, um, things are coming in and I want to say yes to everything I'm trying to have, you know, you just can't possibly write on everything. Yeah. Um, cause it's so time consuming and, and just working out the power of no and, and like trying to hold space for something that's really special or the project that you really want to do. And I think it happens, you get to a point where you realize, Oh, I, I can't just take everything on. And actually it devalues your work. If you, uh, just, stretch yourself overstretch yourself um, and can't can't give your best to everything um but yeah it's again it's a good tipping point to be at where you're actually being able to say no (laughs) because you just can never forget those days where you were waiting waiting someone to call you (laughs) 100 percent. the value of no is exactly it it's it's weird i have kind of a mixed version of that because i'm i'm writing a lot of scripts at the moment but all kind of my own stuff and i've had one or two things come in on the writing front where I've been asked to come and write on something or asked to come and sit in and I've been quite comfortable going, no, that's that's not really my vibe. Yeah. Any casting that comes in to yeah. audition for acting, I'm like, 
oh my god yeah i love that like and again <laughs> after i've inevitably not got it i'm like what? Why would I have wanted to go and do that show? But again, it's that weird thing of because I'm so new to acting, and I guess yeah. I'm new to writing as well, but writing has been what I've done in other forms my whole life. So because I'm still only five, six years into acting, any audition that comes in, it's so almost yeah. anything, I'm like, oh my God, they've asked me to read for it. I know, I know. And it you, turns my head, it turns my head every see, time. Even when you see the description and you're like, that is not me. There's no way that they're going to cast me for this role. You're like, oh, maybe. Maybe they want something a bit different. I'm massive on the on the casting directors going, well, let's show them something a bit different. I'm six yeah. foot four with a big beard. Um, I'm, yeah. I'm often on the a bit different uh, side of the casting list. So, um, yeah, it's interesting. Well... Again, I'm glad you seem to number one have a balance of things, and number one, and number two, be aware that it's a it's one job to find a balance; it's another job to maintain the balance correctly. Because yeah, I think that's absolutely. an important thing on relationship wise and work wise. Any time we start to put our feet up and go, I've got this industry figured out, or I've got this relationship figured out, that's <laughs> when you're going to have a hole in the game and go, Oh right, I've not been paying enough attention here, or I've not been doing this. Or doing that because yeah. you get too comfortable. It seems like you've got a really good kind of awareness that it's a it's an ongoing thing. It's a continued game. Yeah, and then I have to go for an angry run and kick a bin. Yeah, <laughs> so exactly. <it's> all <laughs> about shower. the balance. You've got to find the balance. <laughs> well, I want to kind of rewind all the way back because you came to my attention massively in the curse. That show blew me away. I got I sent a few preview episodes. Um, because I was having Tom on, oh, yeah. on the podcast. And I've already had Seeper on and Hugo and Steve's and <laughs> almost everyone involved. Yeah. Um, and immediately after the first two episodes, I was like, well, we need to get Ema on. This is like, because oh. you just, I thought you were so good in that world. And particularly coming into a world that's already, obviously it's a completely d- different world, but all the people just do nothing lads have been working together for a long time. Yeah. Then... I'm very aware of how long they've been working on this with Tom and with that team. So it did feel that you were the first one that kind of popped up on screen that felt like you've been added to this, but you instantly felt like, yeah, a key person. But again, before we get to that, sorry, I'm jumping into the curse already. I want to go back (laughs) first. Um, It shows how much I enjoyed it. But before we get to that, I want to kind of talk about your journey because you're a Londoner, right? You grew up in, in London. What was your kind of route into into acting and into the entertainment industry was that always the goal were there other things you wanted to do my family's quite a funny mix lots of builders so Mm. Irish building trade is where half my family's from and then the rest of them are builders as well in Wales but then through that there's a sort of like smattering of artists and actors and stuff and it's really my mum was a um, went to drama school and then she did lots of stand-up comedy and she acted for a little bit. She never really kind of, she was never on TV or anything, um, but she loved it. And I think that's probably where it came from for me mm. is that she took me to a lot of theatre stuff when I was a kid and she just uh, watched things with the eye of uh, an actor or creative. And so I was always kind of aware of that being an option. And I think that's a big thing for a lot of people. You know, I think for any young person is that if you don't know something's a job, then you're not going to necessarily picture yourself in it. And I think my mum made it very clear that that was, you know, that I could be an artist of some kind. So she did lots of youth theatres as a kid. And um, I started acting when I was about 16. 
and and this makes makes it sound a bit like I had a sort of showbiz mum where she sort of pushed me into it, but it really wasn't that. I, I think I said to her about age twelve, "Mum, I want to be an actor," and she just enabled it. She just kind of went, "Well, okay, it's really yeah. hard work. It's quite boysy on set. You've got to manage yourself." Like you, you know, she was really realistic about it, and um, she took me to a youth theatre, um, which was used to be called Anna Share, now called Young Actors Theatre. Legendary. Loads of amazing actors. Yeah. So many amazing uh, people have come through. Yeah. There, yeah. Daniel Kaluuya, like just amazing actors um, yeah. who even when I was there, you know, Daniel had just been like just before me. And that's where I got my start, really. And I did a bit of national youth theatre and stuff, but I got a part in the TV movie. Well, not TV movie. It's a single drama. I guess that's the, <laughs> that's mm. the correct way to say it. Yeah. TV movie makes it sound a bit sort of lifetime. Um, <laughs> uh, <laughs> and it was this thing called Coming Down the Mountain with Nicholas Holt um, and it was uh, written by Mark Haddon, who wrote Curious Incident, The Dog of the Night Time. Yeah. And I played, I can still remember her name because it was my first part and it was so important to me, Gail Hardcastle, <laughs> who was Lovely. this kind of like, she was sort of the hot girl at, at Nick Holt's school that he had like fantasies about. So I had to do all these sort of fantasy, sexy fantasy things. Amazing. Um, <laughs> but uh, it was it was really like... Um, straight in at the deep end for me because I hadn't done anything like that and my dad drove me to set one day I think and um my first scene was like snogging Nick Holt in, in a, on a football field I can't remember why and they had like a, a fire truck with fake rain like all right. over us as we sort of rolled around on the football field and I had to go to school play rehearsals afterwards and I remember like sort of mopping my hair and then getting in my dad's car and my dad driving me back to school so that I could be in my school play. Um, that's mad. <laughs> I mean, that's an intense first day on set as well, you know, particularly yeah. as, a, as, as a young actor that it's, it's a kissing scene and all this kind of thing straight in. Hello, nice to meet you. And action. I know, Jesus. and he was in, Nick was in Skins at the time. So yeah. he, he was massive and it was like... I was just coming sort of from school off to snog Nick Holt in a football field and then back to school to do the school play. It was so weird. Um, amazing. <laughs> and, yeah, it was it was amazing. It was I loved it. I, I was like, yeah, this is for me, even though it's weird. And my dad was a bit like, what are you doing? You know. What's going on? I, yeah, love, this, the, <laughs> I, I love the sound of, of your mum's style of support there as well because, as you say, it feels like a real nice middle ground it's saying this is possible, acting is a possible job, but also saying it's not the glamorous thing that you maybe think it is. It's a yeah. reality. Oh, There's, yeah. It's work, it's time, it's <laughs> driving to snog Nicholas Holt in the rain and then going back to... <laughs> then going back to school. It's, 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 there's, there's a real variation in there. So that feels like a really good footing. I think it seems to be so many people, it's one end or the other. You're either... T- particularly for in working class families, you're either implied it's not an option yeah. or, you, you know, or it's never even considered as an option or mm. you're thinking this is my big dream escape and it's going to be beautiful yeah. in Hollywood and all this rather than a job that takes a lot of time and a lot of effort, you know, and a lot of, of emotional gi- giving, I guess. So, yeah, that feels like yeah. a really good Yeah, she was amazing. Footing. Yeah, she was really good and she really realistic about it. Like, yeah. um she would be like, you have to learn all your lines. You have to learn them, you know, like now you need to know that. It was really like, it wasn't like, it was about the work, you know. She was yeah. always like, make sure you're on point if you're going to do it. 
Um, but also I turned down my first job because I was in the school play because right. <laughs> because they were like, when you're in the school play, you can't drop out of the school play to do a job with Nicholas Holt. And so they were quite realistic about it all. They weren't, they weren't like kind it. of yeah. dazzled by anything. And then in the end, the, the job changed their date so I could do the school play. So <laughs> it was, now I look back at it and I'm like, oh my God, I can't believe I said no to that job because I, I was in a play that I had, didn't even have a big part in. But I just you know when you're that age school is that is important and they thought it was important and so it was like and a know. commitment's a commitment i think yeah, that's a, exactly. again that's a really good early <laughs> early lesson there particularly yeah. in in these industries yeah a commitment's a commitment regardless of mm. how big or how small it kind of that's a good way to have been brought into it no you're doing the school play but i want to i want to go and kiss Snog nicholas Nick. holt on a football pitch <laughs> in fake rain no You've got to be one of the shepherds or, or, or whatever it may be. Yeah, definitely. I love that. That's a great balance. So another thing that jumped out to me there, me, there's a, a spoken word artist called Polar Bear who I, I, I worked with a lot over the years, a really good mate. And we used to kind of talk about how we didn't get into poetry because of the great writers and great education and great literature. We got into it because of working class storytellers in our families and building, scaffolding, working in factories, markets. All of these trades are trades where there's a lot of time to fill with a lot of chat and a lot of stories. And it builds people who are masters at storytelling and hearing Irish builders on one side and Welsh on the other side. It feels like yeah. you would have grown up around people like holding the room and telling a story and telling a yeah. tale. Absolutely. Was that very much an influence on you going into writing, which we'll get to as well later, because you've had that upbringing of, no, I've just heard stories. Yeah, and my dad used to do stuff to me like there was this painter, an old painter who'd worked for his company for a really long time. It was really, had a lot of extreme views about women um yeah. old let's just say old-fashioned views about yeah. women or yeah the world and my dad used to think it was funny to just sort of like push me in front of him and go go on Ema, tell, tell him what you you want to do when you grow up or whatever and yeah. I think this is when I was really young and I would say like prime minister and he would just go off on a sort of expletive expletive laden rant about how women should be in the home or whatever Mm. and my dad used to sort of be sniggering behind me finding it really funny and I think he just used he he liked pushing me in front of different characters and like different things that I I I wasn't experiencing elsewhere and um different ways of thinking and then me having to stand up for myself and he I think that was his and he also just found it really funny but I think um some of those guys who worked for my dad, they had amazing stories and amazing lives, but they had also completely different attitudes um, to the world. And I found that fascinating. And I think mm. if you want to tell stories, you you have to understand all the characters. You can't just understand the ones that think like you or have the same background as you. And, yeah. and if you want to play characters as well, I think you should be fascinated with difference and, and, and um, other people. Um, and I think as a kid, I was really really nosy and really really interested in um other people and I think now I realize that was that's sort of been really helpful because um 
that's what storytelling is about. It's just about getting inside someone else's head and letting other people in yours. Completely. Um, <laughs> I love that. I'm definitely, it's something I've definitely learned over the years is I think I have a level of, there's my people I like to be around and everyone else largely I'd rather not be around. Um, <laughs> and there was kind of a breakthrough moment many years ago, even just when I was doing writing and that was like, right now I'd, if I'm if I'm in this situation where I'm uncomfortable, rather than being uncomfortable, download, download yeah. all these characters, t- t- yeah. take in all these views and these opinions and these character traits and these movements and these shadow movements and little things and draw them all in because you can, as you say, if all you've ever been is around people who th- think the same as you or look the same as you or act the same as you, then you're not going to have. Have, have developed at all as a person and particularly as an actor or indeed a writer yeah and I think we've got a bit of a problem now with sort of echo chamber of social media and stuff and you know you want to cut off from other people's views and that leads to problems and I, I, it's not comfortable you know yeah. listening to different things that challenge you but I remember when I was learning to write there was this um exercise that we did on the BBC Writers Academy where basically it was called defending the undefendable or something and Mm -hmm. they gave each of us something to defend like that was completely indefensible so I mean I got like like it was like you know Hitler's crimes or whatever you had to stand up and sort of argue the case for and I think it it was it was sort of funny and awful uh to do it I can't remember what I had it was terrible I probably blacked it out but it was a really interesting I think if you're going to write you have to be able to write the villains as well as the heroes and also as an actor, you have to be able to understand everybody thinks they're right in their head. Um, and so why did it, you know, how do you justify to yourself your behaviour, even if you're playing the villain? Yeah. Um, and I think that's what I've always kind of loved about storytelling is trying to understand why people feel the way they feel. Yeah. Um, and not just your own. And I find myself so boring. I'm so, I feel like I'm so straightforward. And so I kind of would rather be in anyone else's head but mine. <laughs> yeah, I love that. I had that recently on a show where I was kind of one of the main bad guys on this show yeah. called Debris. And I would bore the fuck out of the writer, sh- sh- showrunner, Joel, because any time <laughs> we'd bump into each other, I'd be explaining to him more and more why... I'm not the bad guy. I'm literally the good guy here. And I was like, not even just, I'd become so obsessed with, no, honestly, I be, I, I'm about that far from being this character. Like, like this, this is, I could be convinced into this. Um, and that's the, yeah. and, and, and that's the fun of it, isn't it? It's, it's really interesting. The defending the indefensible part of that, of that BBC course that you were saying about, because I think, a lot of people on Twitter have done that course because there's so much defended. Oh in my god! Yeah, <laughs> yeah. There's too much. You don't that. need to sign up to a course for that. You could just go and talk to some of them dickheads. But no, you're um, right. So, what was that journey there? When did you do that? Because when I was looking into your journey, it's fascinating because you were in EastEnders, but then you were writing for EastEnders, and yeah, how did that all all? What was the pattern of that? So I did a bit of. I did. I was acting in my teenage years, and then I had a bit of a rocky patch where I didn't get into university and I didn't get into drama school and I didn't know what I was going to do. And um, I also got dumped uh, and had my heart broken. So I just was kind of at rock bottom for 
my 19-year-old self. Perfect time for an artist. The birth (laughs) of an artist. Perfect time. Everything's gone wrong. You've lost it all. Your boyfriend's cheated on you at Freshers Week. Um, (laughs) There we go. (laughs) That's when real art is born. Um, And I saw an advert from, it was through a national youth theatre thing, I think, uh, do you want to write a teenage drama? It was actually, you know, I was listening to Nicole Leckie's podcast that Mm -hmm. you did with her. Yeah. It was the same show that she did. Um, Oh, wow. We sat next to each other. Uh, EastEnders E20. Yeah, so we both answered an advert. I think hers was through uh, Theatre Royal Stratford East and mine was National Youth Theatre to write a teenage drama. And um, we turned up and they said, it's EastEnders E20. Um, And we were like, oh, right, okay. Um, uh, And I wasn't a big EastEnders fan. I mean, obviously, you know, as much as anyone growing up in London and existing in the world of... Completely unavoidable. You know everything <laughs> that happened in it, whether you've yeah. watched it or not. Yeah. Exactly. Um, you know, everyone has a has a year of their teenage life where they watch EastEnders, I feel like. Yeah. Cat, Cat and Alfie was mine. Um, so, yeah, it was me, me, Nicole, actually loads of people in that room have gone on to do great things. And I think that's just what happens when you kind of open up and train people at a young mm. age. But we wrote that. We wrote EastEnders E20 and then... Um, whenever we were reading out the scripts, there was this character and they'd always asked me to read her. And I didn't know I was going to play her, but in the end they asked me to audition. And I ended up getting the part, which was terrifying because it's just sort of world-changing to be in EastEnders. It's mm. it's a different kind of fame to a little part in a drama or a comedy or whatever. Yeah. It's I remember the first episode I was in, I came out of my house to meet my friends at the pub after and a black cab stopped and rolled down the window and said, was you just in EastEnders? And I was like, oh my God, I can't believe that's happened. Um, And it's also the kind of fame where people will tell you straight away as soon as they see you, oh, I don't watch it, I don't like EastEnders. (laughs) And you're just like, okay, (laughs) I didn't ask. (laughs) Yeah, so it it was a really interesting experience. At a very young age uh, to be on that show, um, which I have a lot of love and respect for, and um, I, I really enjoyed my time there. But it's a really strange part of the industry, the soap world. How was it as kind of training? Because just the turnover, the, yeah. the line learning, the filming, the everything—it's—it's it's like that. They're churning out so much, and they have to d- 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 deliver so much. So that must be f- f- fascinating and challenging. For for the writers, but then for the actors, so much so. Because, again, you you don't... It, as you say, if you get a, f- a film or something now, you'll maybe be slaving over those, that, that dialogue or those lines for weeks or months yeah. even, really yeah. getting into it. Whereas so much of that, you're probably getting on the day or the night before. And you're like, here you go. Oh, yeah, big and time. And off we go. It, it made me so good at line learning. Mm. It made me so good at line learning. I remember just before I did the job, though, I called my agent and I said, shall I do this? You know, this will change my life and I, I, it will be good and bad because of the kind of exposure it gives you, yeah. soap like that. And she said, look, listen, lots of people learn to act in a black box theatre or a drama school, but you can just go and do it in front of millions of people. And I was like, <laughs> okay, sounds scary. But um, you're just on camera every day. You're just in front of a camera learning lines and, and the changeover is so, as you said, turnover is so fast that like I used to have this horrible nightmare where um, we'd be on set and they'd be like, all right, okay, cam- lights, you know, camera, 
uh, locked off, like, and then I, someone would just go, wait, 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 Ema. And they'd run down and they would just hand me like a page long monologue. And they'd be like, we've changed the lines, amendments. And then it would just go action. And I'd just be looking into the camera and I wouldn't know any of the lines. Yeah. Um, <laughs> because that was, that didn't actually happen, but it, it feels like that could happen. It's an incredibly realistic <laughs> nightmare. That's yeah. What, yeah, that's what I was going to say. It's not like fr- fr- Freddy's attacking you. It's like, no, this is, this is, the, this is, this could be tomorrow. Yeah. Yeah. It's terrifying. Yeah. So I did that for 10 months, um, nearly a year. And then I left. Um, and after I left, I um, did the Writers Academy, uh, which was trained you to write for those shows. And then I started writing for it. So I kind of got a really 360 degree look at how that show's made from lots of different angles. I worked in the story room for a couple of months as well. And it just gave me the most amazing understanding of where the way everything works for TV. Yeah. And being able to write a script about a square, you know, a square of houses which you've literally walked around and been in, is an amazing thing. I found it quite easy to write for because it felt like just, yeah, I had I experienced it in three D, yeah, um, and I knew all those people, I knew all the characters because I had been in scenes with them. So it was it was an amazing place to learn about TV and. It was, it's a fascinating you know. perspective to have done that, to have come in kind of from the side and then been in there and then get to write about it because completely see how that's an easy or a wonderful way to write accurately about it because, as I said, you've lived it, you've been there. I yeah. love that. That makes perfect sense. <laughs> I kind of yeah. want to uh, pause and say to people, if you're interested in this kind of thing, l- l- look up what different writing or acting initiatives the BBC are doing or any of these other places because so many stories I hear about this, people have stumbled upon it by such chance. Yeah, And yeah, it always yeah. makes me think, oh, imagine if you hadn't seen that advert. Or you haven't seen this because you weren't particularly looking for it. So it's well worth, if you're listening to this podcast and you've got any inclination of wanting to do that kind of thing, spend an hour on Google having a look at what different things are available and maybe apply for some stuff because it's it's such a weird world. Honestly, everyone I talk to that has done had one of these schemes that kind of launched everything, it's been like, oh, yeah, an uncle mentioned it or this person happened to see it at this time. And it's like... So you weren't looking for that. So yeah. you could have missed that so easily, yet yeah. everything that's come after, you know. Yeah. I know I'm, I'm, I'm kind of like, I'm always sending, as soon as I see them, I'm sending them out to people because I'm kind of yeah. like... You, you'd be good at this. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And they're like, I don't want to write. <laughs> no, I'm just kind of like, if someone has any, you know, express expresses any interest in writing or anything mm. like that, I'll be like sending them little, you know, courses or schemes or whatever because it's such a good way in if you um, are looking for one. And if, especially, I think, you know, a lot of the people on the writer's course had been to university or they had been in theatre or whatever. And if you haven't done any of that and you're not going to do any of that, then you need another way in. You need to have some experience and um, be given a chance um, another way. And there are lots that the BBC does. Um, I think the BBC is amazing. Yeah, I completely agree. Again, I get in arguments on social media all the time because I think we have to protect it at all costs and it's so attacked at the moment. And people are like, well, no, I get that it needs money, but you should have a choice if we pay a fee for it. And that's kind of the reason it's great is because we don't have a choice. So Mm -hmm. they aren't beholden to advertisers or subscription or subscribers. Mm -hmm. It means that they can 
they actually have a responsibility to push the boundaries and make stuff that wouldn't be made on commercial TV or commercial radio or wherever else. And that's the key part of it. If it just turned into the British Netflix or whatever, it wouldn't have all this stuff that is so groundbreaking and then ends up going onto your Netflixes and your Amazons and all these different things. All the people who were in that and made that end up going on. Again, EastEnders and all that is a prime example because amount of writers and actors I have on here who were either in Casualty or yeah. Holby or EastEnders or all these different things that, as you say, it works as a training course, particularly yeah. for working class people who can't yeah. necessarily go to expensive schools and whatnot. But anyway, I'll stop rambling. Um, while we're on the writing, um, I want to talk <laughs> a, a little bit because you've r- written on two of my favourite shows. So I want to just oh. at least touch upon them. Harlots and oh, yeah. Save Me, I both oh. think are absolutely amazing. I think Harlots... It feels to me like, like, like I hear about it more from American mates. It feels to me yeah, like it's bigger in it America bigger than it is over here. And yeah. I started watching it and I was like, this is a female Peaky Blinders, yes, essentially. Yeah. Like style-wise, the coolness, the writing, the dialogue, the characters, all the acting is amazing. All the characters are amazing. And it seemed mad to me that it had kind of flown under my radar. Obviously, it's, it is very successful and big, but it was one that for some reason had flown under my radar. And I was like... This is fantastic. This should be no, as I big know. as as Peaky and stuff like that. So how was yeah. that to work on and write on? Because it's, uh, I'm sure you get asked to do a lot of writing jobs that don't have half of the wealth of varied f- f- female characters that yeah. Harlots has. There's yeah. there's goodies. There's baddies. There's strong w- women. There's weak women. There's 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 everything. There's a trend yeah. in in. Um, in a lot of stuff now where people are trying to be more woke, where they're like, right, we're having this powerful woman or this powerful black character or whatever else. And that's wicked, but diversity and representation means a, a diverse range of yeah, yeah. characters for for w- w- women, for people of colour, for all yeah. these things. Not just, here's our hero and it's a woman. So yeah. it's all right that there's n- no other women in the whole show. No, 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 that's not good enough. We need a a broken woman as well. And we need a conflicted woman. We need, you know, all of these characters. And Harlots has all of it. So, yeah. Yeah. And it was. How was that to work on? Because it was quite a few years ago now. I don't know how many. But I think it was one of the first shows that I came across that had an all female writers' room. Really? Yeah, all female directors. That's why the characters are so good then. I said, that's exactly as I was saying about the variation in it. It's. That's what. That's how you get that. Yeah, and I think you know? that's happening a lot more now. But back then, that felt rarer. And I think it's yeah. why I got my chance on it, because I'd written on the soaps and I'd been writing my own stuff, but I hadn't really been given a shot on a big drama yet. And I was ready, but it's it was... I think because in Britain, we've got this history or this tradition of quite authored pieces where you get one writer who writes the whole thing. We don't have, well, we didn't used to have as much of that tradition of writers' rooms that America has. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think writers' rooms are amazing. And I, I, I felt like I couldn't kind of get a shot on a show. And no one was going to commission my own show yet. So I was, I, luckily, Harlots, they were filling their room with women. And so mm. I got a chance to, to work with them. And I loved it. It was so raucous and fun and I got to write like six sex scenes, 
which a lot of writers hate like yeah. it's like cringe for them but I loved it because it was so different to anything like you know if you say oh my god on EastEnders they make you cut it out it's like you know yeah it, it was kind of I was sort of set free with it to kind of and you or the have- the the boldness of all the sex scenes in harlots <laughs> is great because the characters are so confident and bold and it can be vulgar when it wants to it can be joking when it wants to and it can be actually sexy when it wants to it's such yeah. a good freedom it's not just a and now here's the sex scene because yes. of the nature of the show it's like and now here's the fifth sex scene. Yeah. And <laughs> here's I, the funny yeah. sex scene. Exactly. I got to have, like, Leslie Manville sort of throw a judge down on a bed and just sort of straddle him and ride Amazing. him. And then I got to have another actress fencing with the bad guy, which turns yeah. into a sex scene. And it was um, so much fun. And the language of it was really fun because it was set in the Georgian era. So, you know, you had to be really inventive. But it was also, they're also, you know, a lot of them working well they're whores you know they're from the gutter so that it was like the language they used could be really colorful yeah and yeah it was just really fun I mean I'm so proud of it and it did go under the radar a little bit because it was uh, a Hulu show and Mm. Hulu wasn't over here in any way really and I think it's been it's been shown on BBC I think yeah it was it was on iPlayer for a bit but yeah it didn't make a splash here in the way it did in America but it did really it did really well in America and people loved the diversity of it and the portrayal of sex work and just, yeah, the stories, the characters, the performances. Um, go and watch it if you haven't watched it, yeah. everyone out there. I completely <laughs> I recommend it. I mean, would, there's loads I want to talk about, but, but I'm worried we're going to run out of time. So let's oh. just, just or let's, uh, uh, let's get on to the curse now because okay. we touched upon it at the start and it blew me away. I thought it was amazing. And when I was talking to Tom, Davis about it he was saying that when they got your tape through <laughs> it was game over they he, oh. he 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 literally he was ringing up James and everyone else immediately going look with this is this is it's done we've we've found it out so I wanted to kind of hear that from your side I guess when the the casting came through if you felt it was one that you were because again as you will what I've learned from being in the industry now is you get a lot of castings and there's mm-hmm. a lot that you just don't hear about. And mm-hmm. I've got really good at going, right, I smashed that. Now forget about it. Like being really yeah. pleased with it and being pleased yeah. with it for what it was. Like yeah. I've done that really well. If nothing else happens, I know I've done, you know, I I, I got the assignment and I knew, I knew what I was meant to do. So was that one that you sent off thinking, nah, this was really fucking good. This should surely. No, honestly, no. no. <laughs> I I know those tapes where you think you smashed it. And I know yeah. I did the tape in 20 minutes with Rick because yeah. they wanted it really quickly and I, it was late. And I, I just went, Rick, I need to do this. It's re- like, and I was so, I think it was quite good that I did it really quickly because I was quite <laughs> nervous about it because I knew everyone involved. Well, I knew Tom and like, I loved the PJDM boys. And I, yeah. you know, I, I would have just, it was a bit of a dream job. And I think I, I think if I'd spent too long in it, I might have taken the the life out of it. Um, but it was a great speech um, that she does, Tash, about it's the voiceover of the show, which sort of explains the background and and, and why they kind of, what the curse means, that the mm. sort of the gold is cursed. Yeah. And yeah, I, I just sort of whacked it onto a tape and sent it off and couldn't think about it too much because I think it would have been, you know, when you really want something, it's a bit painful. Mm-hmm. Um, and Rick was just messaging Sipa because he knows him like, 
I'll just send you a tape, like, hope, hope you're impressed with my performance. Cause like, and then all the boys were just sort of like <laughs> teasing Rick about being on tape with me. It was, that's what it was. About. I didn't Dickhead, think it was going to come to anything. Yeah. Um, and so then when I got the recall, I was just like, oh, I'm so overjoyed because that character is wicked and she's gangster and she's smarter than all of them and tougher than all of them. And yeah. I really wanted to play her, but also I really wanted to hang out with them all. <laughs> because yeah. <laughs> they're amazing so then I went and did the audition and I think it came down to uh me and Sipa just having chemistry mm. um I think that's what I think you just can't fake it and she went in sort of sat down next to him did the seduction scene and I was so nervous I was sort of shaking but I think I just went and put it on him and I remember turning around to Tom and Tom was just sitting there like smiling and I thought oh, I feel like maybe this has gone well but then I went home and I cried all weekend because I thought I'd fucked it up. Oh, really? So, yeah, but I'm just, I just was like, it, I never really believe if I've done well or not. So I just sort of went home and went, I went, Rick, I don't, I don't think I gave it all. I think I could have done better. And he was just like, well, it's over. You know, don't think about it too much. But I got it. So, um, roller coaster ride. <laughs> yeah, completely. So, so how was it then to work on? Because visually, it's amazing. The costume, the, the, the sets, all of that, everything just looked so good. Did it feel that right? Do you know what I mean? Did it feel as if it all clicked and all worked perfectly? Again, I I couldn't imagine any of those boys in a a seventies a, a or eighties or whatever is heist thing. And then as soon as I saw it, I was like, oh my god, how have they how have they not been doing this their whole lives? Like when I'd heard about it, I was like, all right, I don't know how this will work. And then, man, it works. Yeah, I think the production design was amazing. I think what they were really clever and the makeup and costume and everything, and James um, as a sort of creative force, what they were really yeah. good at doing was making it feel quite run down and gritty mm. and not going for the sort of gold bling elements of the 80s. They yeah. they went for that late 70s, bit grubby. Everything feels a bit, yeah, shabby in the calf and in the buildings we were in, in the costumes, in the hair, in the everything. I was going to say, everyone feels a bit sweaty, a bit yeah. grimy, a bit greasy. Yeah, yeah. You know, so that's, and remember, that's, yeah. That's, that's real. That's the reality. Yeah, it, I mean, that cafe was, it was a real cafe that had been yeah. operating forever and the grease was real. Um, and it smelt like an old calf. And, you know, I remember I went into the costume fitting and I thought it was going to be really glamorous and sort of bodycon and... <laughs> It was like paisley sort of sacks. Um, and then I sort of had to reconfigure. I was like, no, she, Tash, she wants them to do a heist because she wants a better life. She can't look glamorous in her original life. She has to be, you know, tired and skin and totally over working every hour of the day, mm. flipping bacon for absolutely no money in order to risk everything for a payday. And I, she, she's got to be feeling exactly as you felt going into that costume fit and hoping it's going to be glamorous and then exactly. it's stuck in sacks and that that's what her life is she's wishing exactly. it was all glamorous she wants yeah. it all to be there yeah but it is what it is it's grease and it's grime yeah she, exactly and yeah no they we delivered on the grease and the grime and the, yeah. and the outfits they got a bit better as she gets a bit more money but yeah, yeah. <laughs> season two <Okay>. hopefully <laughs> I l- finally I get it. my body gone <laughs> Well, how was it? How was the release of it? Because it's a weird, it's still a weird tra- 
transitional time for TV, particularly with stuff like that where it's coming out and it's weekly, but it's also coming out all on demand at once. And I, for one, I watched it all in one weekend and loved it. But then I kind of felt guilty because I'm like, all right, it's over now. Everyone's worked so fucking hard on that. I've had one weekend of messaging Tom, of messaging Seifer and stuff like that, saying it's amazing. Then it's like, all right, lads, what's next? But man, (laughs) all of that work that goes into it, and then you have this big launch. And then obviously, as I said, on Channel 4 stuff, it is on the weekly thing as well. But so many people now watching that more on-demand nature. So, yeah, I guess how was that? The build-up to release and then the release and then where we are now. It was good. I mean... I try and keep my expectations low because I think I started so young in the industry. I was about 16. So I've been doing it for about 15 years now. And you can put everything on something, you know, and and, you're, and have your heart broken. So mm. to be honest, I had such a good time making it. And then when I watched it, I was so proud of it because I, it was everything I thought it was going to be. And I was so, so impressed and in admiration of so many of the people who had put it together, that I, I hope people would like it, but you just don't know. And the reaction the reaction was so was so nice. It was just, there was so much love for it. And those boys, all of them, Tom and, and James and, and everyone, they've got so many loyal fans, but it felt like, as you say, you know, you couldn't really imagine those characters in a show like this, but everyone just brought all that love to this show. And, yeah. and I think, it, yeah, it's just been overwhelmingly positive occasional tweets about stuff but you just gotta ignore them well that's Um, what was great was seeing when it came out seeing amazing reviews in the guardian and stuff like that and people just all going right this is this is great and i'm really yeah i'm excited to see if there is going to be more to come um and all that kind of thing because it feels like the characters felt i I spoke i think i spoke to tom about it uh, with seeper that he was the biggest one where I was like, I can't imagine him really doing anything other than being Seeper because knowing <laughs> him as well, it's like, it's not that far. It's, it's you know, it's, there's there's yeah. there's bits of, of, of Grinder, sorry, in in him. So it's like, I can't imagine him being anything other than, than Grinder. Then honestly, the, f- the first s- scene of you two kind of behind the counter and that, it's like, right, no, this is it. I'm not. I'm not distracted. I'm not thinking. Oh, it's yeah. It's weird. It's MC Grinder with a, a Mario moustache. Like, what's going on? But yeah, I know. I think because I got to know him so well so quickly. I think there's a bit of Albert's a part of him as well. Like, yeah. I think I was one minute when we were in the um. There's like this weird sort of pantry in our calf, and we had to start in there, and it was really dark. And like, he said that he was. Re- he told me sort of in the dark that he's really scared of spiders, <laughs> and I, and it was so sweet. And I, I think you know it's a totally different side to his personality that is the opposite of Grindr. Yeah. And I think they'd all consciously create these characters in opposition to what they'd done with PJDN, but there's still a huge part of them in them. And I think that there's a, a scene towards the end where Albert is with uh, the detective um, Saunders and he cries and it's really, it's really heartfelt. And I think it's super sort of really acting and and I know he's acting all the time as Grinder mm. and you know and yeah, yeah, yeah. but like I think it was him flexing a little bit and stretching his uh, ability and he's really good and he shows um, himself as a leading man in this yeah proper. yeah and yeah. I completely agree with you on that on the both sides of him I told 
Tom about this. I can't remember if it was on the podcast or not, but after I'd watched those first two episodes, I sense Seeper a little voice note about it. And his reply had elements of Grinder and elements of Albert because he was like excited going, oh, that's sick, man. I'm so glad you're enjoying it. Yeah, this, this is. And then right at the end, he kind of goes quite and goes, yeah, but I'll, I'll just quickly, like, where have you seen it? Like, how have you, how, how have you seen it? Like kind of panicked and worried that it's leaked or something. It's like, no, 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 it's the PRP because I was having Tom on. It's all good. But it was it was exactly that. It was the two. It was C for an Albert in one in one <laughs> minute long voice note and it's like oh but no but how uh how'd you get hold what what's going on kind of yeah the nerves yeah. of it. it was beautiful yeah he, he he said to me once that he's the king of overthinking and he said all of us boys are, are the kings of overthinking yeah. and that I think all of them have have sort of levels of anxiety and stuff and that's what makes them so good at observational comedy and yeah. at, at writing and, and performing those parts because I mean, Sipa thinks a mile a minute yeah. and he has every single possible version of a thought, you know, in every moment. And it kind of, he's just, for a character, he's just picking the ones that are right for that, you know. Um, and that's yeah. why they're so good at improv because <laughs> just stuff pours out of him, <laughs> you <Yeah>. know. <laughs> just pours out for hours. Yeah. Uh, it, he's remarkable. I, I just, yeah. I feel like I actually... Uh, he's going to probably listen to this and just listen to the bits that I talk about him and then tease me for them. But like, it really was a pleasure to like, to work with it up close because he's one of a kind. 100% I'm going to get asked to send the Rick sections to Rick, (laughs) the Super sections to Sifa. Tom's going to be on my case for just any of the curse bits. (laughs) Um, Egotistical men. (laughs) (laughs) Well, before we wrap things up, you touched earlier upon those early writing days and having to get experience and and, and jump on sh- shows and writer r- rooms because in early days you're not going to get to write your show. Mm. Um, I always kind of ask what's ahead and I've been reading about K- Karen Pirey. Um, Karen Pirey, yeah. P- Pirey. I've only seen it written down, so forgive me. Um, oh, no, so, it's all right. So, so what is it? Because you've written it and you're in it and what's, yeah, tell me about it. So it's uh, an adaptation of a Val McDermid crime novel. Um, Amazing. Really big series of novels um, about a young Scottish detective, young female Scottish detective, um, who's played by Lauren Lyle, um, Mm -hmm. who's a great actress, brilliant performer. And, um, yeah, I I adapted this book into um, what is three two-hour episodes, <clears throat> yeah, they they are um, like films, really, three films, um, although they're across one story. Um, and it's basically uh, about a young detective who is really underestimated. She's tasked with opening um, a cold case from the 90s, which is um, about uh, a young girl who was walking home from a party who never makes it home um, and is found murdered in a graveyard um, by three boys that she knew who were at university in St Andrews. And the case is never solved. But for a long time, the three boys were the main suspects in the murder. And now these men are older. They're living with what they went through in finding a body, but they're also still very much in the frame for whether they did it. Mm-hmm. Um, and the case is very open because a, a podcast um, uh, starts examining it. Um, and uh, the podcast element I kind of added because uh, the book was written in 2004 
when there obviously were, I think there were podcasts, but maybe not as many as now. Yeah, um, <laughs> and um, <clears throat> it was just a way to kind of make it feel really modern um, and kind of wanted to talk about And it's crime. a genuine thing that's happening so much now, is there's so many true crime pro- podcasts that have caused cases to be reopened, to be reinvestigated, all this kind of thing. So, yeah, that sounds like a, exactly. a completely logical addition there. Yeah, and I wanted to examine that kind of examine why we're so fascinated with crime and true crime Mm. in a slightly meta way as I'm writing a show about a murder I wanted to sort of look at why we all consume murder for fun Mm. um and I don't know if I fully uh crack that but I definitely give it a good go um and uh yeah it's going to be on ITV later this year Sounds amazing, and and oh. how was that as a writing project? Because the freedom of getting two hour kind yeah. of episodes that feels like again, particularly when it's it sounds like an absolute dream because you've got the the source materials. So the scary part of of sitting down to write is going, I don't know the story. Yeah. You know the story, mm-hmm. and then the other scary part is going right. I need to get this into a thirty minute episode or a 45 minute episode with adverts and this and that or whatever so to have that all there to be able to just explore the characters explore the themes to to flex your writing muscles and stuff that must have been great right yeah i mean it was a massive challenge because the book is really different to the series how the series ended up because the book's half set in the 70s and half set in 2004 right to move it all to the 90s and 2001 in order for there to be a 25-year gap because obviously... Need everyone to have grown up and so... Yeah. yeah. And it's written half in the past and half in the present and I had to overlay those two on top of each other. Um, And then also just the challenges of adapting a book where you can... uh, When you're reading, you are inside the character's head whereas when you're on watching TV, you have to have externalised so much. So I think... If anyone's read the book, they'll be quite surprised by the series because it is very different. Mm. Um, But the two-hour format was amazing, actually, because when ITV first greenlit it, I'd written an hour-long pilot, and they said, well, greenlight, but can we have three times two hours? And I'd pitched six one hours, and I was like, what? It's a really weird thing to come back from (laughs) ITV on that, right? Yeah, yeah. And I think they've got a sort of tradition of having these like two hour long <clears throat> crime shows like Endeavour or Vera yeah. on Sunday nights. And this is tonally completely different um, to those shows. But um, once I wrote a two hour long episode, I realised that what's amazing about it is that uh, you get so much more space for character because yeah. you've got to have all the hooks because because especially on ITV, you've got the part breaks. But um, when you're trying to fit something into sort of 55 pages... Uh, you end up having to lose the stuff that doesn't feel necessary. It's not story. And with 100 pages, I got to keep all of the funny dialogue and the character stuff and the quirky bits that I know would have hit the floor, the cutting room floor, if I if I had been writing a shorter episode. So, yeah, a really strange t- length of time for an episode of TV. Yeah. But I hope that people like that and I hope it works because... I really liked writing it in the end and I really like that it's sort of like three films as well. Yeah. But it is unusual. The only thing is though is that Prime Suspect when it first came out in the 90s was two hour long episodes. Right. Um, 
And so, and I, I really looked at Prime Suspect a lot as a sort of iconic ITV detective, yeah. female detective in a very male-dominated environment. It's very, I really examined it um, as a touchstone for this. So hopefully that that will kind of connect it as well. I love it. It sounds amazing, and I can't can't wait. And those t- knowing that that space has been used for those flourishes and details is great. Like my favourite writing days normally end up being the ones where I've got a bit. I don't know what is happening here or going in here. So you 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 have to like. There's those days where you're like, right, today I'm tackling this big scene or this big part. The yeah. days where it's like, right, I've got kind of a gap here. I need yeah. to figure out what goes in it. They can end up being the most fun ones because, again, exactly as you say, it's this dialogue, it's these these moments and these bits of the character that wouldn't have come out otherwise. That is so that all great. I want to write is the funny yeah. bits in between. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Honestly, it's the funny bits in between. and I, find, I feel like story is, is the Trojan horse and the stuff that you're putting inside the Trojan horse is what you're sort of smuggling to the audience, which is all the fun stuff. <laughs> it's, 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 it's Sunday Kitchen. The, the story of Sunday <laughs> Kitchen was a Tim Lovejoy wanting to have a show where him and a few of his mates just talk and chat to people, but all BBC or ITV or whichever channel, no, on Channel 4, isn't it, I think, all they wanted was c- c- cooking shows. Yeah. So they went, all right, it's a cooking show. <laughs> yeah. And it's not. It's, it's it's what he did with Soccer AM. It was a football show, but it's like no. It was he wanted to talk to bands and talk to yeah. this and that. And it's exactly as you're saying there. Here's the story. Here's what here's what it is. But what the reality is is these interactions and the humans and the characters and all yeah. of those moments. Absolutely, I love it. Yeah. Well, speaking of moments, that thank you very much for giving me a good hour's worth of moments of your time. It's been it's been a pleasure ch- ch- chatting. I guess what else is ahead? Um, is there anything else ahead? Is it a breather at the moment or do you know I'm what's trying to next? Work out, I'm trying to work out what I'm going to do next. Mm. I think the thing for me now is to properly unite the two sides of my work. I've written characters and played them, but I haven't sort of created a show and played the lead in it. And it's obviously quite a scary thing to do, I think. That's why I'm, I'm, I'm nervous of that. Yeah. But it also feels like the most natural next step. Um, Completely. So I think that's what's next. Um, and I've got a few little possibilities and ideas. So I'm, I'm, I've got to just be brave and, and put them down and make it happen. 100%. It's the best of both worlds. It's, it, yeah. it's, it's As an actor, you will be playing a role that no one knows better than you and no one could know better than you because you've created them and then equally as a writer you know when you're writing it you know what can be delivered you you know the strengths you know the areas that you want to explore it's yeah yeah it sounds like the perfect next step and I can't wait to I, <laughs> I can't wait to see what you come up with yeah me too I, I need to I need to work it out <laughs> I love it well it's been a pleasure talking and yeah I look forward to all that's ahead so thank you very much Thank you so much. You've been listening to Scroobius Pip's Distraction Pieces. There we go. That was Ema Kenny. I hope you enjoyed that. If you haven't already watched The Curse, I hope you go and watch it immediately. It's an absolute joy. You can binge it in an evening 
on all four. And follow Ema on all the socials and that. Keep an eye on what this young lady is doing because it's exciting, as you can hear. So, yeah, as I mentioned, I'll be back on Friday with a bonus episode, a really important one. So I hope you, you tune in for that. Until then, stay safe and stay sane. Ta-ta.